Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of the Sermon on the Mount, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining that there is a Pharisaical model for teaching. The Pharisaical model had to do with teaching Pharisaical Judaism. That really is the summary of that. And Pharisaical Judaism has an important history. If you do not understand the history of Pharisaical Judaism, it can be very difficult to understand the teachings and philosophies of it. And so I need to spend a little bit of time summarizing what Pharisaical Judaism is and what it's about. Now, for a more detailed explanation of this subject, I have done another program titled Do Not Do According to Their Takanot, and you can find that in my radio archive. That is Do Not Do According to Their Takanot, and I would definitely like to encourage you to listen to that program. I go through a lot of history that is very difficult to find in that radio program. But in this program, I'm just going to summarize it and explain to you that Pharisaical Judaism started in Babylon. That's really where it began. It began when the people discovered that they had sinned, and that was why they were in captivity. And so they decided that they would create a lifestyle, a way of life, so that if they lived this way of life, they would ensure that they would never come within the boundaries of violating the Mosaic Law. So they looked at the Mosaic Law, and they tried to figure out how they could live so that they would never find themselves in a circumstance where they could be tempted to violate any of the laws of Moses. Now, when people began to define this lifestyle, this way of life, there were different schools of thought concerning how this lifestyle should be lived, how people should live. And so there was an agreement established between the different people who started religious schools with this intent. The agreement was that they could disagree with each other, but that they would not disagree with Moses. And what they came up with was described in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the collection of writings that describe what these different religious schools of thought came up with, and that, of course, has survived to this day. Now, a few hundred years later, the Pharisees decided, the rabbis, they decided that those different schools of thought did not disagree with each other. That certainly was a very radical decision that had no historical basis at all. But that was a decision that they had made. And so concerning the differences that existed between the two different schools of thought, they realized that they would have to find some way to reconcile those differences. So there was a tremendous amount of work done in order to try to reconcile those differences, and that work is described as the Gomorrah. And the Mishnah and the Gomorrah collectively put together make up what we call the Talmud. Now, there were some issues of life that were not addressed in the Law of Moses, and they were not addressed in the Mishnah or in the Gomorrah, and so the Pharisees established a new set of laws called the Takanot. And these laws were evolutionary in the sense that they were continually being added to their way of life. 
So by the time the Lord Jesus came, the Pharisees had the law of Moses. They had the laws that were described in the Mishnah that were given to them by people referred to as the Sophers. And then they had the Gomorrah in addition to that in order to reconcile the differences of the Sophers. And they had the Takanoth that they were continually developing in order to deal with all issues of life. Now, in order to get people to live this way, to live in the way that they had derived, that they decided that people should live, in order to get people to live this way, they had to give some incentive of some kind. And the incentive that they advertised was the incentive of divine blessings. That if you were to live this way, if you were successful in living in the way that they described, then God would see your obedience to him and he would bless you in return. So this was the incentive that the Pharisees gave, and they also used the curses that God described in the Law of Moses as an incentive, but it wasn't as popular as the blessings. The curses could certainly be used in the sense of you either obey God's commandments or he's going to curse you, but don't worry, come to us, we will teach you how to obey his commandments, and so he won't curse you, but the effect of that would be that he would bless you. And so the emphasis of the rabbis, the emphasis of the Pharisees was not so much on the curses of the law, it was mainly on the blessings of the law. Now consider what would happen if a person believes that they are successful at living in obedience to the commandments of God. What's going to happen to this individual personally inside? What's going to happen to them as an individual if they succeed in living in obedience to all of the commandments of God? Well, it's very simple. They're going to have a tremendous amount of pride. That's what they're going to have. They're going to have the attitude of, I am holy, and you are not. I am obedient, and you are not. But don't worry, I'm here to help you. That is a religious attitude. That is how I define a religious attitude. A religious attitude is an attitude of, I am successful, I am holy, I am righteous, because of what I have accomplished, because of what I do not do, and because of what I do do. That is the foundation for pride. And this can be very appealing to individuals because people enjoy having pride. They like to have a sense of pride. They like to be able to compare themselves with other people and say things like, I'm not like you, but don't worry, I can make you like me. You know people like that. I'm sure you've encountered people in your life where they sort of have this attitude of, don't worry, I'll make you just like me, and then everything will work out just fine. There are lots of people like that throughout the world. There are plenty of people like that who can enter into our lives and can give us a lot of opportunities for disappointment and condemnation, especially when we don't live like they would like us to live. But from a pharisaical point of view, what they were doing is they were teaching people how to obey so that they could be blessed. And of course, the consequence of that, the side effect of that would be religious pride. And the Pharisees were well known for having a tremendous amount of religious pride, which would be the natural result. It is to be the expected result of their success. But Jesus had a lot to say about this. He had a lot to say about this religious pride that they had throughout his ministry. 
I'm not going to get into those passages right now. Right now, what I would like to do is focus on the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, where he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I told you all that in order to tell you about verse 5, and then I'll tell you about verse 3 and 4 and the others. I wanted to start with verse 5, because when he says in verse 5, blessed are those who are gentle, or other translations will say meek, other translations will say humble, those are words that describe something very different than the religious pride that would be manifested within an individual who was obedient to the law. Here is an opportunity for Jesus to definitely make a distinction between what the Pharisees were teaching and what he's about to teach. Here is a wonderful opportunity because if he tells people to be humble and yet the Pharisees were teaching people to live their lives in such a way that it would make them proud, there is definitely a major distinction between the Pharisees and the Lord Jesus. Now, when Jesus says you will be blessed for being humble or meek or gentle, when he says you're going to be blessed for that, well, that is contrary to what the Pharisees were teaching. They were teaching that you will be blessed when you are successful, when you are obedient, then you will be blessed. But if you fail to be obedient, then you are going to be humbled. You're going to be humbled. So how can Jesus say, the humble will be blessed? That wouldn't make any sense, not to the people who he was speaking to, because they have already heard from the Pharisees that they will be blessed through their obedience to the Mosaic Law. And when they are, then they have an opportunity to be proud. But if they are humble, then that means they have failed to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law. That means they are sinners. They have sinned. And so for Jesus to say this means that the ones who are sinners, the ones who fail, are the ones who are going to be blessed. And that isn't going to make any sense at all. Now, we know, according to the New Covenant, that an individual needs to come to the point of realizing that they are not obedient to God. And only then can they be humbled to the point where they can receive the mercy of God. But that's the point, is that it is only through being the recipient of his mercy will we be blessed. It is only through the new covenant that we are blessed. And the new covenant is based on his forgiveness. It is based on his mercy. It is not based on our repentance and obedience. That was the old covenant. So then look at verse 3. Go back up to verse 3. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, to say this to the Israelites at this time, the Jews who would be hearing him at this time, again, would be very different because the Pharisees were teaching that the objective of studying the law, one of the objectives, of incorporating the law into your life was so that your spirit could be filled, so that your spirit would be rich. In fact, there was a prayer that they would say after studying the law, and the prayer was an expression of thanks to God for putting his spirit within them because they studied the law. It was through the study of the law that the Holy Spirit would be put within them, would fill them, would make them rich in spirit. 
And so if he says that a person is going to be blessed by being poor in spirit, then this is a contradiction when you compare this with what the Pharisees had been teaching them. This is definitely something different. The Pharisees were teaching that an individual would be cursed if they were poor in spirit, not blessed. They're going to be cursed. They need to study the law. They need to incorporate the law in their lives. Only in that way will they receive the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam. Only in that way will they be filled with the spirit and be rich in spirit. But Jesus says, no, no, you're not going to be blessed that way because, of course, you will never obey the commandments to the extent that God required. And so when a person recognizes that they have failed, that they are not obedient to God, when a person recognizes that, then they can turn to God for his mercy, for his grace. And of course, we know, according to the gospel, that the Holy Spirit is given to us freely. He gives us his spirit as a free gift, and he's able to do that because he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore. Not because we don't sin but because he forgave our sins through what he accomplished on the cross. And so this prepares an individual to see that it is okay to fail. It is okay if you try, as long as you try, of course, and you fail. Then you can see that you have no hope. And only then will you be blessed. Only then can he bless you. Because he's not going to bless you in the context of he owes you because you are so obedient. He's going to bless you only in the context of you recognize your failure, your need for his grace and mercy. Then he gives it to you. And only then are you truly blessed with the Holy Spirit. So when he says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's true. Only those who will receive the free gift of eternal life will have a place in the kingdom of heaven. In verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, this doesn't make any sense in the context of Pharisaical Judaism. If you are mourning, if you are suffering, then it's because of your sin. It's because of your disobedience. That's why you are mourning. That's why you are suffering. You need to live the life that they created, that they established. Because if you do that, then there will never be a need for you to mourn. But then Jesus says, you need to mourn. He says, you have to. Only those who mourn are going to be blessed. And those who don't won't be. Why would he say this? This would make no sense to these people. It will only make sense when you realize that there is no hope in trying to live a life of repentance and obedience to the Mosaic Law or trying to live a life to avoid violating the Mosaic Law as the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. It is only when you realize that you are hopeless, that it will never happen, that you cannot succeed. It is only then that you can reach to God for his mercy and in your mourning, in your despair, in your recognition of how depraved you truly are, only then can you receive his mercy. Only then can you receive his sufficiency when you realize your total depravity. Only then will you receive the blessing of God 
that he truly has for you, and only then will you be truly comforted. You see, a religious individual can never truly be comforted. They can never be comforted by God because they have the law. They have the law, and the law tells them, listen, just obey, just repent, do that, and there will be success. You will no longer have a need to mourn. Then there will be no need for comfort. But when a person realizes their depravity, then they can be the recipient of his sufficiency, and they can be comforted by their God. Again in verse 5, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Will those who are humble, those who recognize that they will receive no inheritance outside of the mercy of God, those are the ones who will truly inherit the earth after the Lord decides that he has had enough of what's happening right now. And the day will come, the day will come when the Lord will say, he's finished, he is finished. Not only is he finished with the provision of salvation, but he is finished with providing people with an opportunity to be saved. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. You see, the Pharisees were teaching the law, and the law said that if you will obey his commandments, then you will inherit the land of Israel, the earth that is found there. You will receive the inheritance if you will obey And if you will not obey, then he, of course, will curse you and you may find yourself in a situation where you are enslaved in a foreign land. That was what he said in the law. So the Pharisees were teaching the people to obey the law because the blessing that God was offering was they would receive the inheritance of the land. But Jesus says, no, no, if you want to receive the inheritance of the land you are going to have to recognize that you cannot obey the law, that the law will lead you to the point of failure and despair, and that you will have no claim to the land. You will have no right to the land. You will have no right to your inheritance in any way whatsoever. Then you can turn to him for his mercy, and through his mercy he will bless you, and the day will come when he will establish the kingdom here on earth, There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and the inheritance of the land will be dispensed to his children, those who have been resurrected by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, who have received the gospel, who have believed the gospel, who trusted in what the Lord Jesus accomplished for them, rather than trusting in what they thought that they were accomplishing for him. In verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Well, to the people at this time who were discipled, taught by the Pharisees and the rabbis, righteousness was achievable. It was something you could obtain. All you had to do was do everything that they told you to do. Live the way of life that they had established. Obey the commandments of God, and you will have righteousness. But if you do not, Live in obedience to the commandments of God. If you don't do that, then you are going to hunger for righteousness. In other words, if you don't obey, then you are going to be a sinner. You are going to be hungry for something that you do not have because of your disobedience. And then Jesus says that those are the ones who are blessed. You are blessed if you have failed. You are blessed if you have sinned. According to the new covenant, according to the gospel, yes, 
you can be blessed because you will recognize that you do not have righteousness, that you cannot achieve righteousness. Only then can you turn to him for his mercy. And when you believe in what he has done for you, then you are righteous because you believe your God, because you trust your God, because you believe in what he has accomplished. Only then can you receive the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ. This is the righteousness that Abraham had when he believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. So also, when we believe our God, when we believe in what he has done, in what he has accomplished for us through the Messiah, then we will be righteous. And so if we hunger for that righteousness, then through the new covenant after his death and resurrection, he can provide it. And it is then that you will be blessed. In verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, if you're in a situation where you need to be merciful, it's because somebody has violated you. Somebody has caused harm to you. Otherwise, there would be no reason to be merciful. But if you have been violated, if harm has come to you, If the Lord did not intervene in a divine way to ensure that that did not happen, if that's the case, then it's only because of your sin, according to Pharisaical Judaism. The Pharisees and the scribes were teaching the people that if they failed to live in the way that they were telling them that they needed to live, if they failed to do that, then they were going to experience suffering. They were going to experience loss. People were going to violate them. And under those circumstances, people would then have the option of giving mercy or not giving mercy. So when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, that means that these people are in a situation where they would find themselves having the opportunity to be merciful. And that wouldn't make any sense. That wouldn't make any sense to them at all. How can you be blessed when you are in a situation where you obviously have sinned to the extent where God has withdrawn his heavenly protection so that he will not intervene in a divine way in your life and people can take advantage of you. But Jesus says, yes, that's the situation you need to be in. You need to recognize that you cannot be perfect, that you cannot be holy, that you will sin. You will be in a situation where God does not owe you anything. And when you see that, then you can appreciate what he is offering freely. Not on the basis of your obedience, but only on the basis of his mercy, on the basis of his grace, on the basis of him giving a true blessing to you. That's why he says that people will be blessed when they are merciful. In verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now again, for a person to be persecuted in that society, the only reason why that would happen would be because they were sinning from the point of view of the people who were persecuting them. That would be the situation. And so when Jesus teaches the people, 
what he is teaching, that trying to live in accordance with the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees, trying to live that way, will not lead a person to the point of righteousness. It will not lead them to a point of success. Turn away from that. Now, he did not say, then go out and live a life of indulgence of the flesh. He did tell the people to live a life devoted to the Mosaic law. That was what he did throughout his ministry. He told the people to turn away from what they were being taught by the rabbis in order to follow Moses, but that that would eventually lead a person to the point of despair as the law of Moses was given for that purpose, but that they would then persecute these individuals. And he says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the persecution that you are going to receive from the religious leaders who are trying to live a life that they cannot. Try to live the life that you cannot according to Moses. So they will persecute you, but don't worry. If you will be true to Moses and not true to them, then you will see that you cannot achieve righteousness, that you cannot be holy. If you follow them, then you are going to believe that you can be righteous, that you can be holy because they believe that they have found a way to succeed. But if you will follow me, you will see that there is no way to succeed. And only then will you be blessed. And only then will your reward in heaven be great, because the reward is based on faith and trust. It is not based on obedience. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is what it's about. This is not the description of how a Christian can be blessed. This is the description of how a person can be blessed by becoming a Christian. Again, this is not the description of how a Christian should live their lives. This is the description of how a person can be encouraged to believe in Jesus, to eventually believe the gospel because they do have a need for forgiveness. They do have a need for salvation. And only then can they be blessed by the living God through the salvation that he is offering, not through a life of trying to be humble, of trying to be a peacemaker, of trying to be gentle, not through a life of trying to create a new Christian lifestyle or a new set of laws to live by. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying that we must let it go so that we can receive the mercy of God. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,